0: Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 20. This week, I've invited podcast listener Ron to join us to discuss his recent transatlantic cruise on Independence of the Seas. Transatlantic cruises are really unique and very different than other types of cruises that Royal Caribbean offers. Ron helped us understand what you do for 13 days, most of which are at sea, and how he enjoyed his time on board. Here we go. Once again, we are joined by one of our podcast listeners, and this time it's Ron from Albuquerque, New Mexico, who recently took a 13-night transatlantic cruise with his wife Pam on Royal Caribbean's Independence of the Seas. Welcome to the podcast, Ron.
1: Hi, how are you?
0: Outstanding. Glad to have you on this podcast to talk about something that's really interesting, which is transatlantic cruises, because honestly, I feel like transatlantic cruises seem to be very polarizing cruises. And what I mean by that is that when you tell someone about a transatlantic cruise, people either think it's a great idea or a terrible idea. So what I want to know is what drew you to going on a transatlantic cruise in the first place?
1: I think one of the primary things that we've chosen to do transatlantics, this is our third one, is that we can almost cruise back, for about the same price as a flight back, and it's much more relaxing and much more uh, pleasant experience than flying back. And we get a, you know, 13 to 16 night vacation for maybe only a couple hundred dollars more than the one way trip back from Europe.
0: So, transatlantic cruises have quite a number of sea days. And if people are unfamiliar with transatlantic cruises, they often start somewhere, somewhere near the United States, like in the Caribbean, or they can start in Europe, usually around maybe England or the Mediterranean and they have to traverse the Atlantic, hence the name, and there's a lot of sea days involved there. So how did you find the onboard entertainment, and what did you say? What would you say, rather, to someone who's worried that they'd be bored on all that, that long of a cruise?
1: Well, if you're going to do a transatlantic, number one, you have to enjoy sea days. Um, if you don't enjoy a sea day and you're always looking for the next port to get off, then a transatlantic isn't ideal, but if you've always enjoyed the time, on a Caribbean cruise, maybe a seven day cruise where you enjoyed the sea days, but maybe found you didn't have enough time, then the transatlantic becomes really interesting because you can enjoy the ship fully. You don't ever feel like, well, I've got to do this, this, and this. You can take it a little more leisurely. I would, this independence cruise was just, Pam and I both talked about how good the entertainment was. I mean, it was probably the best entertainment we've ever had on a cruise. From the, the Broadway production shows in the theater to the, you know, individual bands that played in the various venues to the headliner entertainers. it Just across the board, it was just top of the line. And we've cruised, you know, not just Royal Caribbean, but most of the other major cruise lines. So the entertainment was very good. You know, the evenings were filled every night with activities. So we just didn't have any problems during the evenings finding things to do and, and wanting to go do.
0: That's great. Um, it, it's certainly good to hear. And, you know, the other interesting thing is, beyond the entertainment that you mentioned, this is also your first time on a Freedom Class ship. Is that right? Yes, it was. And what was your – tell us, first of all, what was <laughs> the largest Royal Caribbean ship you had been on be, class-wise before that? If I'm not sure if you were on Oasis or Voyager or maybe even smaller than that.
1: We've done nearly all of them from our very first cruise in 1996 on a Sovereign Class ship, the Sovereign of the Seas, up through the various classes, Uh, We have not been on Oasis or even really looking forward to going on Quantum. Those are, you know, much bigger than we desire. We really enjoyed, two years ago, the Mariner of the Seas, which is the Voyager class, just below the Freedom class. And uh, the Freedom class and Voyager classes are definitely our favorites. The Voyager class... Is very much like freedom, freedom class and independence, the ship itself, except there's more space on the freedom classes that I think we looked it up when we got back 40 feet wider and about a hundred feet longer. Pool areas are larger. It has the flow rider, which a lot of people are interested in. Just plenty of room on the ship. Uh, there, I, I definitely would prefer either a Voyager class or freedom class ship as my favorite size and of any cruise line ships.
0: I really feel like Voyager class, I've said this before on the podcast, I think it's really one of the best classes of ships Royal Caribbean's ever built. It's just, I felt like it's that perfect blend. It, it was that, like, they learned all their lessons from before, they put it in Voyager, and Freedom, exactly like you said, it's basically a Voyager class ship, but stretched out. It, it's great that you you enjoyed it, and you. I heard you had given a try to the Flowrider yourself.
1: It took me a few days to work up the courage, and um, the weather was a little bad, and we can talk about that in a minute, but, you know, the flow rider was a really neat experience. The lines weren't too long. Once we got in the Caribbean, the, the weather was spectacular, and uh, the instructors were very good about getting nearly everybody onto the boogie board. I, I did not try the stand-up one, but the boogie boards, you know, you can just go in and and have fun with it. The video, you know, Pam took some videotapes of me and, you know, it was probably the highlight for me of the cruise was just, you know, something that I had not done before. I, I've done everything else that's available on the ship, but had never gotten to try that. So that was a, a definite high point of the cruise was the flow rider. And I did it a couple of different days and, uh, you know, certainly progressed and, you know, didn't feel like i I embarrassed myself on it like and and hardly everybody hardly anyone embarrassed themselves. I mean everybody had a good time with it.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm petrified of it because I'm I'm so scared I'm gonna make a fool out of myself and face and you know <laughs> but it sounds like you had a great time on it and maybe one of these days I'll I'll work up the courage as well to, to go give it a try.
1: Well you know they do have private lessons. They were really trying to sell those to people who were right on the cusp of really getting the hang of it. And I think it was, I want to say it was $60 for an hour, but with only six people, you got a lot more time on it. So, and several people I talked to had taken the lessons and were spoke very highly of the experience. So that's another alternative.
0: Absolutely. So what other new things did you try on Independence of the Seas? New to you, at least.
1: The I think maybe the first thing that I would say was the Giovanni's table we had and it was yeah. very nice lots of new types of food um, it's a Italian cuisine and done very well presented in a you know really upscale manner and the service was impeccable uh, we really loved that and I as far as other things that we really did new I don't I, the other thing that we did new was the promenade cabin which is the one that overlooks the promenade of the main ship with the, the you know, glass windows that yeah. look down over the restaurants and in the promenade. You know, normally we stay inside cabins. and We've had a couple of balconies, but it was a really neat experience just to be able to kind of peek out your window and see what was going on. And uh, we watched one of the parades and evening shows that where they went back and forth and we were a little bit concerned about the noise in the promenade cabins, but it was not a problem i mean we weren't there when they were doing the musical evening entertainment like the 70s night so that might would have been a little bit loud but for the most part we were out doing it so we didn't you know it was a really good experience and luckily it was very rough i i can talk to you about that too as well but we were basically midship deck seven and the promenade cabin was a really good experience a little bit larger room than maybe some of the inside cabins we'd had
0: that's interesting that you chose that cabin class because it's something I've seen before and, you know, walking through the Royal Promenade myself and looking up and seeing everyone's rooms. I was always, you know, thinking of myself, you know, maybe I'm not sure I would enjoy that mm-hmm. cabin just because it seems like everybody can see in, but you didn't have that kind of an issue. You kind of enjoyed the people watching and, and it wasn't like on display, so to speak.
1: <laughs> well, if you leave the curtains open, you can definitely be on display. <laughs> yeah. After many cruises inside, it was like, did you check the curtain before you started getting ready for bed? Uh, (laughs) Because you can definitely, not so much that people will see you from the floor. I mean, unless your windows are open, you can see people looking out their windows. But I guess it's kind of like, I mean, I've never done it, but it's like people living in apartment high rises in big cities. You could definitely see into other rooms across the way if they had their windows open. Oh, sure. You know, we got some pictures. There was one that was right over the Ben & Jerry's ice cream shop. We never did find out, but it was kind of interesting. Pam took a picture. The couches that were sitting there by the overlook of the promenade window had cow uh,
0: designs. It's the Ben & Jerry's suite. S-W-E-T. Okay. We,
1: we had a very good look at that. Every once in a while, you'd catch people napping on their little divan, looking <laughs> out. You know, it did catch our eye. We were right across from that, maybe one cabin over And it was kind of a different experience for us being in the promenade cabin just from the fact that, you know, not being in an inside cabin, it did make it seem like it was a little larger. And and we enjoyed it. It was really a good thing that we were midship. One thing a lot of people might be concerned about is weather on the transatlantics. And it's certainly something that every time we've come across, we've had two or three days of weather where you couldn't go outside, where the winds were too strong and the waves were too high. You know, and certainly some people who are really prone to seasickness, you know, probably didn't have a very good time. Luckily, Pam and I aren't affected that way. But this trip was uh, particularly worrisome because on our Cruise Critic forum, there were people talking about the predicted high waves. And I didn't try to scare Pam too much with it. But before we left, I was expecting fifty to sixty knot winds. First night, as we left out of Southampton and around the Isle of Wight, about seven or eight o'clock. We had our little TV screen on showing the winds, and we were about 50 knots. And it was fairly rough. It wasn't a lot of big rollers, but just kind of like being in a bucket of water being shaken. And we saw the winds pick up to 70, 79 knots. You know, it's a little bit disturbing because you're thinking yeah. this, is, this is hurricane force winds. And uh, the, the captain turned us due south, and so the wind was right from behind us several people were talking about and the captain even mentioned it at one of the events was that that night we did have some hundred mile per hour winds so it was pretty rough you couldn't get out on the deck for the first two days the third day it was still pretty windy and you could you it was too cool to get into the swimming pool but you could sneak up to the solarium and get in the hot tub though it was quite chilly getting out a couple of days of that and then you know sun came out and it got really pretty and you know and then that particular cruise is eight days at sea right off the bat. I mean, you get get on the ship in Southampton, and it's eight days before you get to St. Martin in this case. And, you know, I think by day eight, everybody was pretty much ready to see some dry land.
0: <laughs> I can imagine so. And the interesting thing was, you know, you mentioned all this. And to me, I mean, I don't think others are going to agree. It's like, wow, that's that's really those first two days sound, you know, darn right, you know, not awesome by any means. So. <laughs> What would you say to someone about that? I mean, is that you mentioned, you know, you shouldn't be prone to seasickness. Is that just it, as long as you don't get seasick or if you have the patch on on your ear, you're good? Or was it, you know, how could, since you're not someone who is, you know, prone to seasickness, how did you enjoy your time in there? Is it like, could you do stuff or did you feel like you were just watching movies for two days?
1: Oh, no, we, you know, pretty much the normal shipboard activities continue. They did end up canceling the first of the ice shows because obviously it was too rough for the ice performers, you know, because they do the lifts and in, in various things during their show. So the, the, the first ice show was canceled, and they made it up a couple of days later. So okay. for the most part, you know, a lot of the parties, I think one of the, the, the ice carving and some of the other things that they would have done, you know, outdoors got moved indoors. And, of course, that's the beauty of a Freedom Class ship was they were large enough that they could get them indoors. You know, they, they had a couple of things that would have been on the pool deck that were on the promenade. Some of the they, they had quite a few um, speakers, so um, you know the days were full. I mean, it it wasn't like they canceled activities. I mean, they obviously canceled outdoor activities, but as far as around, you know, there were movies. They did show movies in the little movie theater. The discussions and the enrichment topics and those things were still in full swing. So indoors, you know, you couldn't tell any difference. You know, and I, I, I'm i aware some people did get seasick, but they probably would have gotten seasick wherever they were at. It really wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. I mean, I thought, you know, you see that and you think, wow, this would be really awful. But it wasn't. And, you know, and we've always had that whenever we've exited either, you know, the Mediterranean sea into the Atlantic the first couple of days, pretty rough. And then I've talked to people who have had transatlantics that were glass calm, but of my three, the first two or three days, you know, I don't expect to go hang out on the pool deck and lounge around by the pool, but there's plenty of other things to do on the ship. I mean, as far as enrichment uh, lectures and, you know, the shops are open and the bars are open and the, you know, the regular shows go on every night. So it really doesn't change anything.
0: Real quick, Ron, what would you say is the best thing about a transatlantic cruise and what's the worst thing about a transatlantic cruise?
1: I think the best thing is just, the relaxation. One thing that happens is you get a time change. If you're going east to west, you get 25 hour days basically every other day because there's six or seven time changes. So you're getting, you know, an extra hour of sleep every night, you know, just that you don't have to rush around the ship to try to find everything and do everything that you would do on a seven day cruise. You can just, you don't have to worry about not getting your book finished. You don't have to worry about making every activity because they're going to have another activity. You know, you know, the same activity may repeat two or three days later. So I love the relaxation and the fact that there's nothing that you have to do. You can just sit back and enjoy it, read a book, sit in a lounge, people watch. We meet lots of neat people on the cruise ships that, you know, so that's the best part of it. You know, quite honestly, having cruised as much as we have, there's not really much we dislike I will say this the first at transatlantic I did day 5 and 6 I was starting to go a little stir crazy it was a much smaller ship and you know I had enough reading a book and sitting in a hot tub but, <laughs> but but since then you know I mean I really you know it's it's very easy to fill your time and you know you sleep in late and read and Go to the lectures and go have a leisure. You know, we love to have lunch. I don't know, a lot of people, I'm, I'm always shocked how, how few people actually go to the dining rooms uh, yes. for either breakfast or lunch. I and it's so place. nice to be able to go, you know, and sit and have a nice leisurely lunch, you know, that takes an hour and 15 minutes and not be rushing or eating, you know, the hustle and bustle of the Windjammer Cafe, so... Um, I can name a lot of really good things that I love about it and very few things, you know, that I would dislike about a transatlantic.
0: Great. And I agree with you a thousand percent. If it, if people haven't taken advantage of it on sea days, the, the main dining room is open for lunch. It's a hidden gem. I love going there. I always feel they always have different things on the menu. It's, it's leisurely like you, ju- like Ron just said. So if you haven't had a chance to check it out, I highly recommend lunch in the main dining room on sea days. It's a lot of fun. Can you I add had-
1: one thing? Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know if you've been on um, at least the last three years of cruising. They've gone to a buffet in the main dining room in addition to the regular lunch buffet. That's they right. set up a build your own salad where you go through and the waiters mix, you pick the ingredients for your salad and they mix it up and put the dressing on you'd like. So, and it's some of the best salad bar makings I've ever seen. And uh, they, you know, the waiters are sitting there and and serve you very well. And then this time, um, even from last year, they had some buffet items. So if you were in a rush or you, the lunch menu can, maybe that'd be the worst. The thing I'd say is the worst is the lunch menu is the same every day for 13 days. So the salad bar is very, very nice. It's very elegant for a setting and, and they have lots of really good things on it. So we really enjoy that as far as the main dining room.
0: Absolutely, great, great point there. My wife loves that salad uh, buffet that they have at the uh, in the main dining room for lunch. So, before we go, Ron, I always like to get to know our podcast guests a little bit better. So, I'm going to ask you some quick questions about how you like to cruise on a Royal Caribbean. So, just say the first thing that comes to your mind, okay? Okay. Favorite restaurant on a Royal Caribbean ship? Uh, the
1: main dining room for dinner.
0: Preferred drink while on a Royal Caribbean cruise? I'll say. <laughs> Rum and Coke. Rum and Coke. Nothing wrong with that. Good. That's classic. How about your favorite port of call to visit?
1: I'll take Ephesus, Turkey.
0: Ooh, nice one. And lastly, your favorite song on the radio or iPod today?
1: Pam will be very embarrassed, but... uh... (laughs) Don't be embarrassed. Go for it. Uh, We're, We're all friends here. Well, my latest is Timber. That is a Kesha. I love that. Pam hates Kesha, but it's oh, a nasty, no. it's a nasty song, but it, as they used Catchy. to say when I was growing up was it's got a great beat. So
0: that's, that's right. And there's nothing wrong with embracing your inner 15 year old. That's what I always tell my wife. So more power to you. I love that song. So good choice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ron, now that we've embarrassed our wives thoroughly, we'll wrap things up. Thank you so much for sharing your insight into your independence of the seas cruise.
1: Oh, you're certainly welcome. We, we really appreciate it. I'm, I know Pam loves your podcast. She's always sharing stuff from it with me, so we appreciate the work you do on that.
0: Thank you. We're going to answer a few more of our listener comments, questions, and emails, and we'll start with a Facebook message from Jackie Hall, who writes, Matt, thanks so much for the great podcast. I thought the topic of dress code was perfect. You're spot on about the dining dress code. One question is that I've heard the solarium pool does not have a strict dress code and that women are sometimes topless. Is this the case? My impression is that this would be rare to see a woman topless in this area, but wondered if it's allowed. So, Royal Caribbean's policy on topless sunbathing is somewhat vague in the sense that it does allow it, but in most cases, it actually doesn't. It's pretty much left up to a ship-by-ship basis, and even an itinerary-by-itinerary basis. Basically, North American cruises, cruises that sail out of the United States, rarely, if ever, allow topless sunbathing. Whereas some cruises that go out of Europe do allow it, there's usually a deck that's specifically for it. I've heard it being called a St. Tropes deck. don't know if that's still the case or not. But there there have been some designated areas on European cruises that do allow it. But again, it's on a case-by-case basis. But to answer your question, no, the Solarium does not have that rule as as a hard and steady rule. And if they do allow topless sunbathing, it's not usually in the Solarium. It's going to be somewhere where really nobody can see it at all, you know, if, if anyone's offended by it. And that's usually... There's, they call it the St. Tropes deck. It's this deck that if you're on the main pool deck up on, depending on which ship you're on, but the top pool deck, there's usually a little area that's again elevated from that, maybe the size of a small stateroom. And over there, there are some lounge chairs, and you could go topless over there. Again, it depends on the ship, and they will publicize if that's the case or not. We have another message from Facebook from Jason Small. Just booked my first Royal Caribbean cruise from May 2014. The podcast and website helped us make our decision between several lines, including Disney. Keep up the great work. Jason, I'm so happy to hear that you going to give Royal Caribbean a try, and you're going to book your cruise for May. I hope it's a great time, and of course, I want to hear all about it, Jason, so be sure to send us a comment, and of course, since your first time Royal Caribbean, if you have any questions, feel free to send them in. Heck, if you want, we'll put you on the podcast. I'm putting it out there right there, so have fun, and congratulations. Let's go to RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. We have a comment in episode 19 about dress codes from Dave, who writes, I'd like to see more shorts in the main dining room. I'll wear a sooner formal night, and I'll wear a polo on other nights, but I hate to wear long pants in the Caribbean. I don't buy the Windjammer room service argument. That is a lower quality experience. Maybe those that are offended by shorts should go to 150 Central Park or Chops on non-formal nights. I'd be okay with them putting up us peasants into a special area or floor on the main dining room. The dress code is moving in the right direction, though. Once more of the old guard is displaced, maybe we'll see even better policies." Thanks for the feedback, Dave. Honestly, I don't think you're wrong. In fact, I don't think I'm right. I don't think you're right. I don't think I'm wrong. I don't think you're wrong. I think that this is a very subjective policy. And obviously, Royal Caribbean is going to be listening to what its passengers have to say. That's how it thrives, right? It's going to make money on making sure its customers are happy. And there's definitely a large amount of people like yourself, Dave, who think that shorts are perfectly okay for the main dining room. And by the same token, there's a lot of people who don't think that it's okay. I'm just purely going off what the rules say. And if the rules tomorrow were to change and say shorts are great and you can wear tank tops and everything like that, you know what? I'd be okay with that too. It's really what the rules are. And I'm just all about following whatever the rules happen to be. And I happen to know that the main dining room rules specifically say on most nights for the dress code shorts specifically are not allowed. But I think you agree, Dave, that you would want to see that change. And you know what? I, I kind of agree to some extent with you. I think that, you know, yeah, it's kind of a little fussy sometimes to dress up every single night. And it's nice to be able to you know, not have to wear pants, especially when it's so warm out and certainly wearing shorts would be far more comfortable. But at the same time, I got to respect the rules. So I appreciate the, the feedback, Dave. Again, I like hearing what people have to say. And if you don't agree with me, that's okay too. I'm not insulted by it. In fact, I love it. I think it's a good argument. And I like having discussions like this on this podcast because after all, this podcast, this blog, everything here, it's for all of you who are reading and listening. I want this to be an interactive experience. So thank you, Dave, once again, for the great comments. Let's go to some of our emails. We'll start with an email from Christopher Percy. Very informative podcast today. This part of cruising can certainly be sensitive when it comes to dress codes, since some people just don't get it. I realize that times have changed, and cruising is generally more casual now. However, every now and again, you will still see people in shorts for dinner in the dining rooms. Just amazing. As you stated, this is an issue of respect for your fellow cruisers, and I commend Royal Caribbean for establishing some guidelines, even though, at times, the lack of enforcement does occur. There are many options on board for ships in terms of meals and information like you provided today, and hopefully that will educate everyone. Thank you for the email, Christopher. And like I said earlier, I don't think there's a really a right or wrong answer to this subject. It's up for debate, and I'm glad that you all are voicing your opinions, and I'm happy to read them here, so thank you very much, Christopher. Next is an email from Licidia. Just wanted to thank you for the name and number for Leo, the driver you had in St. Martin. You were so right. He did not disappoint us. He stayed with us all day. So helpful, polite, and patient. We couldn't have asked for more. Thanks again, and happy sailing. Lucidia. I'm so happy to hear that you had a great time with Leo. I know that when I've had him as my driver in St. Martin twice now, I've had nothing but a great experience. My family has really come to consider him a friend of ours, and he does such a great job. So I'm so happy to hear that someone else really enjoyed his experience and his expertise as well. So, Thank you very much, Alcidio. Lastly, we have a voicemail from our good friend Peter Lockhart from Scotland. Hi, Matt.
1: Peter Lockhart here. Greetings from Scotland. Thanks for your latest blog and what to wear on a cruise. Like you, in the evening, I enjoy getting dressed up, especially on a formal night. I'm looking forward to our cruise in March on Oasis when my son and I will be
0: in the States and we will be wearing our kilts. Wow wow indeed i don't know how to respond to that except to have a great cruise and yeah i don't know how to respond to guilt but that's great peter i'm glad you're having a good time with it and have fun on that cruise it's coming up very quickly i think that'll wrap things up for today so until next time i'm matt Hotchberg and we'll talk again soon